Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Wife Life podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the spouses behind the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever, whenever, and Defence Bank offers competitive products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Earlier in the year, I caught up with a number of defence partners to talk about how they and their defence member and family navigated the pandemic lockdown and COVID restrictions throughout 2020 and more recently 2021. They all had varied experiences. Some had a surprisingly positive story to tell, while others were understandably pushed to the absolute brink for various reasons. Long separations, uncertainty, isolation and support and services that found it hard to move with the ever-changing situation and needs of defence families. Lessons were learnt and some hard decisions going forward may have to be made about how Defence Life will work in the future, but overwhelmingly, it's clear that we all just did our best when faced with some impossible situations. These are the stories of Danny, Sally, Kim, Emma and Catherine. Welcome Danny to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks, Beck. So today we're talking about Defence families and their experience with 2020 and COVID and how that affected their family and spouses and seeing each other and all that came with COVID. Can you tell us where you're posted at the moment and what field your military person works in? So we're located in Victoria at HMAS Cerberus. Uh, my partner is an officer in the Navy. He's currently posted to a seagoing ship uh, in a technical role. And so do you live together at the moment? Is he posted where you are? What is your living situation at the moment? So he's posted uh, to a ship which is based out of Sydney. So we are in WDU. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been tricky. <laughs> So how did COVID and being MWDU and, you know, I guess you living on the patch but being separated from your defence member, how did all of that play out for you guys? It was fairly horrible, actually, to be quite honest. We live at Cerberus, as you said, and we're about an hour and a half away from our closest family members and him having been posted to Sydney, it was the first time that we were MWDU and it was my first time where he was deployed and, yeah, it was just really, really hard. Before COVID really hit, he was deployed for approximately three months. He was due to come home and spend some time with the family. And uh, we were able to do that, except then uh, he was recalled because the borders were closing. So how did MWDU actually work for you guys before COVID? Was it going fairly well? Did you have some sort of plan in place going into MWDU and, and how that would work for you guys? We did. So it was going perfectly (laughs) for the six months prior, I think it was. It was working really well. We had fortnightly visits where he would come home or myself and our kids would go up to Sydney um, and spend time with him there over school holidays or things like that. 
it was working as best as it could, really. And of course, those plans went out the window when COVID hit. And basically, it went from being fortnightly visits to what when COVID really, you know, took force? Uh, It went from fortnightly visits to pretty much nothing at all. (laughs) Um, Because we're in Victoria and he was in Sydney, when the borders closed between Victoria and New South Wales, he was recalled. He was here in Victoria And he was recalled back to Sydney because we just didn't know how long this was going to last. So I remember his kids, uh, he has two children from his previous relationship and they were home with us for those particular school holidays. And we were all together and all of us were just, you know, upset, shocked. I remember his eldest actually asking, well, when are we going to see you again, Dad? And we had no answer. This was in July of 2020. And we actually didn't see him again until December 2020. How did you go into that separation and saying goodbye when, you know, by July COVID was in full force and Mm -hmm. you would have known the reality of saying goodbye and not knowing when you were going to see each other again. How did you even say goodbye and how did you sort of get your head around what the next however long was going to be like? There were lots of tears from all of us. (laughs) So we've got three kids between us. So, yeah, and they range in ages from... Uh, 17 down to 12 but yeah definitely lots of tears lots of hugs I think we just kind of took it day by day because we really didn't know how long it was going to last we were hoping it would be something like you know six to eight weeks and he'd be back home in September sort of thing but yeah that that just wasn't the case and we just took it each day as it came when he was able to do so uh, we would do uh, WhatsApp video calls. Um, he would call the kids every night when he was available to do that. Yeah, he and I would talk as often as we could as well. It was tricky. It was really tricky. And then on your partner's end, what was the reality for him? Because obviously, you know, you're busy dealing with what the kids are going through and probably homeschooling and all that comes with juggling what's going on at home and and what's happening in your lives. But your partner is stuck in another location, you know, with sometimes time on their hands, not able to come and visit and only able to hear about what's going on at home from afar. Yes, the good thing was, in a sense, that he was extremely busy with work. They were in an extremely busy period of time uh, for the ship. So it was good in the sense that during the work week, he was flat out. He's a cyclist. So on the weekends, he would sort of take himself for a ride, you know, which would last anywhere from an hour to a couple of hours. And he would just keep himself active um, over the weekends when, you know, we had made plans for him to come home. But yeah, obviously he wasn't able to do so. So it was tough on his end as well. And so in the meantime, it was, I guess, lucky that, you know, on one side, it was lucky that the ship was in refit mode and he wasn't going away in that time as well because, you know, if the borders had opened and he was able to come back and he was away on the ship, that would have just been even more crushing because finally you're able to see each other, but he actually can't come now because he's doing what he needs to for defence. What was it like waiting it out, just knowing that he was sort of sitting in Sydney, able to come if he could, but just waiting for those updates, I guess, sometimes every day about what was happening with the borders and COVID restrictions? It was really quite frustrating and really upsetting. It felt like we were 
completely helpless. There was nothing that we could do. Like you said, it was good that he was in Sydney and if those borders did open, he was able to come home. It, it sort of did happen in the sense that the borders opened, I think they opened sometime in November, but the ship was at sea at that particular point in time and I would sort of laughed and had to laugh really and thought to myself, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> Uh, I had the feeling that somehow, you know, when the borders opened, he was going to be back at sea again. But um, it's just out of our control and there wasn't much for that we could do, really. I mean, also on the other side, you've got this thing called defence that also controls whether members can go back to see their family and also have their own rules and restrictions for COVID because people obviously need to remain operational and, and able to be recalled for task forces and things like that. Did you have any of those restrictions play out as well? Initially, yes, uh, especially leading up to Christmas. When we were getting sort of closer to Christmas and we were still unsure of exactly what was going on, uh, we were a little bit concerned about that. We were waiting. So has COVID impacted your future plans as a couple and a family? Like, obviously, this is your first MWDU experience. It hasn't been it, I mean, it was positive at the start and then it kind of went a little <laughs> downhill after that. Ha- has COVID impacted your future plans as a couple and, and a family and what will happen defence-wise with postings and all that's required of a defence family? Yeah, with everything that's happened in mind, I wouldn't as quickly make the decision to become MWDU again. COVID had such a negative impact on our family's ability to have any physical contact I'm the type of person who says never say never, but in this particular um, circumstance, yeah, I wouldn't do MWDU again. I wouldn't choose it for our family again if I had the choice, yeah. And what about an impact on any short-term or long-term plans with defence? Some people have made the decision to transition out of defence because of the experience of COVID. What kind of impact has COVID had on your plans with your partner's future with defence? As far as him remaining in the Navy, he loves his job. I would never say to him, no, you have to get out. This has been really horrible. He loves his job. He's been in for over 20 years. Um, It's stable. It's secure. But yeah, having our time over again, and in hindsight, I think if the choice to be MWDU again was put forward to us, it would probably be a different conversation. So did you receive any support from Defence or DCO? I know that obviously the community houses were closed because of COVID and restrictions and, you know, there was limited face-to-face contact throughout that time. But did you get any sort of support through Defence? So I tried. (laughs) Uh, I contacted defence families on a couple of separate occasions and although the people on the other end of the line were nice, it was kind of, they they couldn't do much. I also emailed DCO after CFA sort of said, maybe email DCO. I actually didn't get a response from DCO, which was a little bit disappointing, especially during the time, like I mentioned earlier, getting closer to Christmas and we still had no idea exactly what was going on as far as defence allowing members to come home and be reunited with their families for Christmas. I called them and asked, you know, what information do you have? And they were kind of like, well, we've got nothing. And all they were really able to offer at that point in time was monthly checking calls. I just thought it was it was really disheartening that there wasn't more information flow to the spouses. Yeah, it was, it was just terrible. And I guess even to the point of even if they didn't have information, just keeping you across the fact that they didn't have information as opposed to just leaving it and you having to seek that out or or track it down or get that answer. As yeah, 
Exactly right. And so because I was getting nothing out of DCO and DFA, I actually emailed Chief of Navy. And from that, I was put in contact with a Commodore who was on the COVID task force and he was absolutely brilliant. I had a reply from CN's office within about half an hour of um, hitting send on my email to his office. And then I think it was within a couple of days, I got an email from this Commodore. (laughs) He was just amazing. You know, he was compassionate and wanting to know if we were okay. Contact was actually made with my partner's commanding officer, again, just to make sure that we were okay and that everyone was all right. And this task force leader kept in contact with us even up to January. He sent me an email and was asking, you know, did your partner make it home okay? Uh, Because border stuff was starting to happen again because of cases in New South Wales uh, between Victoria and New South Wales again. So I felt that I got more support from him (laughs) than I did from defence families, unfortunately. Just take it straight to the top. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just thought I'm not getting any love from anywhere else. I had actually tried to contact, you know, our state premiers and I had a phone call from someone at New South Wales Health as well. And they sort of said there's a possibility that we might be making uh, an exception for defence members. And I kind of didn't hear any more about that going forward. And I thought, okay, this is getting ridiculous now. (laughs) It's getting so close to Christmas. We still don't even know if he's able to come home for Christmas. The last thing I wanted was for our kids to spend Christmas without their dad. So yeah, it was just crazy leading up to that time with with no information. And I just thought if I don't do something and I'm just sitting here. And then of course, like it could have been understandable in April, May. Yes. Because, you know, everyone was just trying to figure out what was happening with COVID and everything was changing day by day, hour by hour. But by November, December, what kind of forethought had been put into some basic information or ways of communicating with families? to just keep them, I guess, informed about what is going on or what isn't going on, like, you know, just to at least keep them in the loop. Exactly. It felt like we were just in the dark. Um, And even though initially the Commodore said, you know, there's something coming up, we're trying to put this in place, it wasn't anything concrete. It was, this is what we're looking at. This is what we're thinking of. It was still something. There was still some information. There was still some light at the end of the tunnel, I guess you'd say. Yeah, it was just... Yeah. Instead yeah. of feeling like you'd been forgotten. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Especially when Victoria was in a 5K radius restriction, we couldn't travel five kilometres outside of our um, radius. And <laughs> down here on the peninsula at HMAS Cerberus, five kilometres doesn't get you very far. <laughs> so we sort of felt a little bit isolated. <laughs> Even thinking about those partners that, you know, may not have been doing it for very long or may not mm. know who to contact or may not have the ability to be able to put themselves out there and and go higher up and seek that information and are just feeling alone and uninformed, don't actually know where to turn or don't have the capacity to do that and put themselves out there to do that. Exactly right. I had actually spoken or emailed with my partner and said, have you heard anything? And they were still sort of in the dark a little bit as well. They didn't really know what was going on. And I said, well, this is what I'm going to do. And he was like, yep, that's fine. I felt 
if I didn't ask the question, then we're all in the dark. Everyone is just, there's just no information. And yeah. I just thought if I'm not doing it and no one else is doing it, then we're all not doing it. <laughs> yeah, no one right. is finding out anything. Yeah. You mentioned that you asked your partner if it was okay that you went forward and did that. Mm. Is that because there's sort of this underlying feeling that if we sort of like poke and ask questions that that's not allowed or someone will get in trouble or? Definitely. This is my first foray into the whole Navy world. I mean, we've been together for approximately eight years now, but the last thing that I want is for someone to get in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) But really it was just so you could feel like you were getting as much information as was available. Most definitely. Yeah. Which was provided to you when you did ask the questions to. Exactly. The Commodore. Yeah. The task force Commodore. Yeah, exactly. So how did you look after your mental health during COVID and, and make sure that you were, because you're handling everything at home, you've got to look after yourself so you can keep going and not being able to go anywhere outside of 5Ks and yeah. the huge lockdown that Victoria experienced. How did you yes. look after your mental health? So I actually went and saw my doctor. I started to feel really anxious at a particular point in time and I knew that something wasn't up <laughs> and it was affecting me. My blood pressure was actually elevated and I knew that I didn't feel right. So she encouraged me to do some things for me and she suggested that I make time to actually do it. She sort of said, you know, make it like it's an appointment, write it down as if it's an appointment and do those things every day. So I did meditation and yoga every day. I went for walks within my neighborhood um, when lockdown permitted us to do that. And I made the time, I know it sounds silly, but I made the time to have a bath, which is something that I don't do. (laughs) Um, But I, I would make the time to have a bath at least once a week. And I put some, you know, nice music on and light a candle and that half an hour was just my time. It doesn't sound silly because... I just love the fact that, you know, you, you're like, oh, the GP told me to, so then I was like, I gave myself permission to do it. But it doesn't sound silly to actually do that because obviously it has the, the huge flow and effect of, you know, you feeling okay in yourself and you yeah. looking after yourself. So then you, you're better able to look after everyone else. Most definitely. And after a month of doing that, I actually went back to see her because she did say, I want to see you again and just check that you're doing okay. And it was just amazing. She just said, I can just see that you, you've improved you know you're looking better you're sounding better so yeah it definitely helped we just need to get gps to prescribe smelly expensive candles so we don't have to pay for them (laughs) wouldn't that be brilliant Uh, so I guess what support or community connection do you wish existed or think could have been offered during COVID? Obviously, once everything sort of settled down after a few months and, and people were getting their head around and the organisations were getting their heads around what was needed for families and what may have been ahead for the, the coming months of lockdown, what sort of support or community connection could have been offered? So, yeah, I don't know if this is something that would be allowed and I guess it would sort of be an opt-in type of service. Even being put in touch with someone else who was MWDU within my location would have been nice, you know, to sort of sort of share those experiences, even just, a, you know, a phone call if we weren't allowed to <laughs> see each other face to face or something like that, that would have been really nice. But I just felt that there wasn't a lot of support provided. Uh, yeah, it just felt really isolating. When your MWDU 
you on a normal case when there's no COVID and no restrictions yeah. and you're able to do what you need to do, there isn't really that connector or connection to other MWDU families in the same situation. There's just no way of bringing MWDU families together in different locations because there could be, you know, there could be 10 families in your area that mm. are MWDU all with members on the same ship, but you wouldn't know. No, exactly right. So what is the near future likely to hold, you know, with postings and deployments and your partner coming back? Like how much longer of MWD you have you got <laughs> to go? And, you know, I mean, it's huge going from obviously having that normal MWDU experience at the start, then experiencing COVID and now kind of, you know, the world's opening back up and everything's sort of settled down now. So there's not that urgency to have your partner come back. Obviously you want, you know, you want your partner home, but um, <laughs> what is the near future likely to hold for postings and how desperate are you to have him come back <laughs> and, and be locked down in your state? <laughs> so we've got four months left about four months left of MWDU and both of us can't wait. <laughs> uh, in that four months for him, there is a deployment for a couple of months. So yeah. Um, do you feel like are... that deploy? Do you feel like that deployment is going to be a piece of cake considering like you, you experienced like months and months of lockdown? You know what? I really do. <laughs> um, I think I said this to someone else during lockdown and, and COVID Deployments we can do because we know that there's an end date. The whole lockdown situation and COVID and everything like that, it was just really hard because there was no end date. I think with people who are in WDU and whose partners do deployments, you know, you've sort of got that, okay, well, they're away for this amount of time and then they'll be back. But with COVID and lockdown, there wasn't that goalpost at the end, sort of just wasn't there. And I guess with living defence life, you already give up a lot of control in various areas of your life. COVID <laughs> just took away, you know, even more controls and then, yeah, not having that end date to work towards or to even prepare yourself for. It just plays with your head. You just, how do you wrap your head around it? Like you just can't. No, you just can't. You just take it day by day. Day. That's what I did anyway. We just took it one day at a time. So what did 2020 teach you and what are you taking away from 2020? <laughs> yeah, I think we sort of touched on it before that, yeah, this deployment's going to be really easy. <laughs> I'm stronger than what I thought I was. I was able to get through lockdown and homeschooling and everything else that went with COVID. Uh, yeah, like I said earlier, I think we won't choose MWDU again so quickly and so easily. Um, and I know that some people it's not a choice for them but in this particular case it was our choice but at the same time faced with that decision again it would be a much harder decision to make I think this particular time it was easier for us to say yep we'll do it but yeah there'd be a lot more consideration taken into it if we were asked to do it again. What about a message to those spouses that want to seek out more information about something when it comes to defence or if they feel like they're not getting the answers that they need or the information that they're after or they just feel, you know, left in the dark with a certain situation. Have you got something that you can tell them in regard to reaching out to to keep trying different avenues until you get what you're you're after? Yeah, so I guess for me it was just keep asking. If you feel stuck and you're in the dark, keep asking. And then eventually someone like this amazing task force Commodore was able to do for, for me and provide me with that, just that reassurance that someone was listening. Because if no one's asking the question, then no one's asking those questions. I couldn't sit on my hand and not ask. I just, I had to ask. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much, Danny, for coming on the Military Wife Life podcast and telling us about your MWDU experience through COVID and all that 2020 was and um, I guess the flow on effects of COVID and, and how that's impacting defence families. Thank you so much for having me back. I recently checked back in with Danny to see how things were going. Here's an update. Welcome back to the podcast, Danny. Thanks. We are obviously checking back in with you after recording with you some time ago about your experience during COVID and being MWDU and border restrictions and COVID and last minute border closures and all that came with all of that. Last time we spoke, you were in the thick of MWDU and COVID restrictions were in full force. Mm -hmm. You were located in Victoria at HMAS Cerberus and your partner was in Sydney in New South Wales. Where are you both placed now? So my partner has returned uh, from Sydney and we're both based out at HMAO Cerberus now. We found out in June of this year that he was going to be extended um, and would remain in Sydney for another couple of months. His posting to Sydney was due to end mid-June when the ship returned. Uh, However, it was extended for two months. And that was because he was given a position to fill a gapped billet, uh, a gap position, um, and it was agreed that there would be an element of working from home here in Victoria. But because of the ever-evolving situation in um, New South Wales, he wasn't able to return home for those work-from-home components, uh, and he spent many days and weeks working from a small apartment in Sydney as he wasn't allowed to come home. He did spend more time away at sea during those couple of months. He said that he enjoyed it, (laughs) but I knew that he was tired and he was ready to come home after already having spent two years away from home. It got to August when we started uh, being able to get the ball rolling with Toll. We were appointed a case manager who was brilliant. She started the process as far as removalists, hotel quarantine, uh, travel arrangements, which was great. She made it extremely easy and hassle-free, but I guess I was still worried about his travel into Victoria from New South Wales because at the particular time it was considered a grey zone, so it was restricted and they were not allowing many people, even if they were Victorian residents, back into Victoria. So yeah, there was that element of stress. So yeah, we got to early September when he was able to fly from New South Wales into Victoria. He entered 15 days of hotel quarantine in the CBD of Melbourne. Um, He was placed in a really great little apartment, basically, um, in the CBD of Melbourne, where he had a separate bedroom, a little kitchen, fridge. So he was able to get food delivered from the supermarket. So that was good that he was able to cook for himself and things like that. But really it wasn't until he walked into the hotel room and called me (laughs) and said that he was there that I was able to breathe that big sigh of relief and think, okay, we've just got this last bit to endure now and then he'll be home. Going back to the whole and then he was had his posting extended, what yeah. was that phone call like? Because obviously <gasps> before that extension, there'd yeah. been, you know, nearly two years worth of MWDU and not yeah. seeing each other and yeah. border restrictions and all of that. So it actually came by an email because they were deployed. <laughs> So it was, yeah, I was out walking and 
I heard the email ping. So yeah, it was it was an email. I was relieved, I guess, in the sense that there was an end date, but at the same time, I was a little annoyed in the sense that we had been asking the question about what was next for us for probably the prior six to eight months, I think it was, where we were saying, okay, well, what's next? We want he wants to get back down to Cerberus. And we just kind of kept getting the yeah, yeah, we're gonna try and do that for you type thing. So that was a little bit frustrating. Like you said, after two years of hardly any reunion visits, contact, anything like that, it was another big pill to swallow. (laughs) And did you actually believe that, you know, at the end of those couple of months that he would be allowed to come from Sydney? Because obviously, (laughs) like, you've been up and down, up and down and let down so many times and had your hopes up and all of that sort of stuff. Did you kind of think like, oh, what if they just want to keep him up there or something like that? Or they want to extend again? Like, can we trust it? I didn't trust it because I knew that originally that two-month filling position was actually supposed to be a two-year position. (laughs) They were trying to fill the gap and they were hoping to fill that gap with him for two years. So, yeah, I didn't believe that it would happen. Um, I was still extremely sceptical. Could you give like a brief rundown of how many times you ended up being able to see each other during the time that he was away in MWDU by the time he ended up coming home in the September how long it had been since you'd seen him from the time when he was able to come home in September the ship returned in June I saw him for a weekend in June (laughs) prior to that had been deployed for two and a bit months I think it was we saw him for a week before the ship left, we were able, during that particular point in time, there were no border restrictions. And before that, we saw him during uh, the Easter long weekend and during wrap in January. So for this year, yeah, not very many reunion trips. And prior to that, 2020, uh, there was even less. So our very, very minimal time was actually spent together. We spoke after you had been through obviously 2020 and COVID was new and things were changing all the time. Yeah. How did 2021 go compared to 2020? Did it feel like it kind of got a little bit easier in 2021 because you'd been through it or was it harder because you had been through it and you were exhausted from already being through the separation? Like how did it sort of play out? I think in 2021, I found that it was a little bit better because we were on the downhill run. His replacement for the ship had been identified and engaged, so we knew that the end was in sight. I found more support in spouses from your community who I became friends with, especially one particular. We messaged each other almost every day I think if not a couple of times a week because she was in a similar situation to myself they were both MWDU he was in state she was in another state there were border restrictions and things like that so comparatively speaking they were kind of much of a muchness except for the sense that this year I knew that we were on the downhill run and we were almost there and at the end of it. What kind of impact do you feel like it had on you and your partner 
not knowing when you would see each other again, do you feel like it had any sort of long lasting impact on your relationship or, you know, even mentally with the on and off again, the excitement of seeing each other, but then the letdowns and the unknowns and everything changing, did it have any sort of impact on either of you? Yeah, um, ongoing, probably not ongoing impact. Um, At the time, yes, it definitely had an impact. Um, It was horrible. We both didn't like it at all. It was just something that you had to endure. And it was basically because of all of the unknowns. And we knew that even if we did make plans, they were likely to change at a moment's notice because the COVID situation was so dynamic. The ship's program was unpredictable because of the changes in the COVID rules and the restrictions. So therefore, home life was just unpredictable. I actually stopped working at the start of the pandemic because there were so many unknowns and I was still providing uh, providing care, helping out with his daughters, my stepdaughters, on a fortnightly basis. And to try and juggle remote learning with my son, collection of his daughters who live an hour and a half away on a fortnightly basis and trying to juggle work and maintain a household and do all of the other things. I just thought, no, I, I don't think I can throw work in over the top of that as well. So I actually stopped working to try and just limit some of the home stress. And so last time we spoke, you also talked about how you tried various channels to seek out information and guidance and to find some support and that you ended up going to basically at the top and contacting the Chief of Navy and you were then contacted and and felt as though the chain of command you dealt with really gave you the time and empathy you needed. Did you end up receiving any further support from from other avenues? Where did you go once you'd been connected with chain of command and, and felt like you, I guess, were being given at least a little bit of information to to stay informed how did the the rest of your time mwdu and during covid go with getting information and feeling supported other avenues no uh, i don't i didn't have any i didn't seek out either uh, i felt that the support from the person who did contact me during that particular point in time uh, i think he was in charge of the covid task force he was brilliant he actually again contacted me during rap January 2021, he sent me an email just to ensure that my partner had been able to return home uh, because the rules and the restrictions kept changing during that Christmas period. So he actually made contact with me again and I was really happy to have heard from him yet again. But as far as any other support avenues, I didn't feel that there was any support or um, information provided from any of the other avenues, unfortunately. And is that because you sort of by, I guess, the end of 2020 and going into 2021, when you had received that support through the chain of command, that you kind of had settled into understanding what, I guess, COVID life and MWDU during COVID was going to be like and you kind of you know just maybe come to an understanding or an acceptance that you just had to deal with what was happening and there really wasn't anything out there more that you could access yeah pretty much yeah like you said accepting what it was for what it was there was so little information available to anybody really that yeah it was kind of it was an acceptance of okay this is how it is and this is what we have to run with you also gave the advice to others who felt they were in the dark or weren't getting the information that they needed to keep asking and trying the different avenues not to just settle you know by 
calling one number or just mm-hmm. asking the person who you've been told to contact if you're not feeling like you're getting the information or the or the answers that you needed to I guess try different avenues would your mm-hmm. advice to other spouses still be that would you add anything to that advice now that you've sort of gotten through that time definitely would be the same and also I would add to ask others for their experiences having spoken to some members of the military wife life community and other spouses yes definitely because nine times out of 10, someone else has had to go through something similar to what you're going through and they may have some experience or some advice or something that worked for them. So yeah, ask questions of people who may be in your support network if you have that because there is information out there, just sometimes it's not easily accessible or you don't know who to ask. So yeah, if if you do have the option to ask another spouse, yeah, uh, ask them. They're a great source of knowledge. And what yeah. do you think the hardest part of the last 18 months to two years was? Like, obviously, there were lots <laughs> of hard parts, but what do you think the hardest part was? It was definitely all of the unknowns, the not knowing, the sometimes not knowing when he was going to be home, <laughs> you know, if that plan was going to follow through, if that reunion visit was actually going to happen, it was all of the all of the unknowns was just really tricky. What about on the flip side, were there any positives to come from the last 18 months to two years? Him coming home. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in addition to that, uh, the friendships formed through military wife life, me realising that I am stronger than I thought I was, <laughs> how I managed to keep it all together, our family, our relationship and our bond and my bond and relationship with my partner's daughters. His mum actually commented, and so did he, that I am the glue that held it all together during such a difficult time. That was nice. <laughs> I guess that was a positive. And I also realised, um, I'm taking this as a positive too, realised that some relationships, uh, I'm talking friendships and family and things like that, aren't able to always support you at stressful times, but I learned who I could reach out to and who I couldn't reach out to. And I also found great strength and that a bond group further between myself and my mother-in-law she was an amazing comfort and support for me during the last two and a bit years so yeah I think our relationship blossoming during that time has definitely been a positive do you feel like the separation on top of COVID restrictions had an impact on your relationship how did you and your defense member stay connected and united as a couple when you're both separated Mm. and going through this experience in different ways and having but having the same frustrations about not being able to see each other not being able to support each other and basically having no way of I guess, changing Mm. that outcome. How did you ensure that you didn't take the frustration of the situation out on each other? We just kept our lines of communication open, really. Um, When we were able to, if the ship was alongside, we spoke every night. (laughs) We would video chat when we could. We played cards as a family every fortnight through Zoom (laughs) with the kids, you know, just trying to maintain some kind of normalcy as much as we could. Because uh, playing cards together as family is something that we would normally do on a fortnightly basis anyway when his daughters were home with us. So we managed to find a way to sort of keep that family tradition, I guess. He would call the kids every evening that he was alongside. Don't get me wrong, there was the occasional phone call where our frustrations did boil over. Um, and it was definitely not at each other, but it was at the situation, definitely not at each other. But we're able to just 
work through it by just communicating what we're feeling and we're definitely stronger for it. How do you feel that the transition home for your defence member is going? It is obviously a process for both, but overall, how do you feel it's going? You've gone so long separated and the ups and downs of, of MWDU and COVID and the unknowns and finally he's home and mm. in the flesh and there. How has that transition gone? In normal situations, we are fairly adaptable people. So I think that it's actually going quite well. (laughs) Uh, It's now been over two months since he's been home and things are going quite smoothly. He's kind of just slotted back into normal home life. His dad actually had a chat with him and offered him some little pearls of wisdom. Um, And one of them was, uh, you know, something like, don't come in and change what's been working for Danny. So I think he's sort of taken that and and run with that as well. Um, If he's sort of seen that I've changed something or I've changed the way that I had been doing something, he's kind of just adapted to the way that I'm doing things. There was a, a little bit of a light bulb moment for me where I sort of went, oh, it's awesome having another adult back in the house. And it was, we were off to an appointment. No, we had come back from an appointment and I hadn't realized that he'd, it's something so mundane, but I hadn't realized that he'd put the washing on before we left for the appointment. And we came home and he hung up the washing and I thought, oh, I've got to put that washing on. And he said, oh, no, I've already done it. And I went, oh, fantastic. That's great. Um, so, yeah, it's it's going really well. Um, yeah. Communication for us has been, I think, the major thing. Prior to him coming home, I did voice my concerns about how the reintegration process would be for us. I sort of was a little bit worried about him missing the life on ship because I know that he enjoys it, but he was like, yeah, okay, I I enjoy that part of my job, but I enjoy coming home to my family (laughs) every night, Um, you know. So, yeah, so things have been going really well. Yeah, and it's definitely those smaller things that you you don't even realise you're carrying that extra weight of having to remember all the million things and not relying on someone to do the simple things or to share the load with you. Mm -hmm. And then when they do, you're like, oh, yeah, it's two of us. (laughs) That's right, exactly, exactly right, yeah. And then you're like, yeah, that's right. You can do this, this and that. (laughs) That's right, exactly. It's not just me. (laughs) Or I don't have to be the person that does the school pickup. He can go and do the school pickup or the school drop-off, especially now that I am working again. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, there's another adult to help with that. And so how did you look after your mental health during COVID. Last time we spoke, you had gone to the GP for Mm -hmm. support and put some things in place to make sure you were looking after yourself. Did you continue with any of those things? Did, Did you, I guess, take that into everyday life after your partner came home just to make sure that you are looking after yourself and having that time for yourself and and your mental health what are you sort of doing now so yep I continued doing um some of the things and I've built on a couple of things as well I've continued doing yoga online we've actually started doing spin classes together he and I Um, so we get up quite early in the morning and, and go and do a spin class together and I actually started seeing a psychologist as well through open arms which I'm still continuing to do via um, telehealth online using zoom and she's just been a great sounding board and someone to talk to and bounce bounce off so yeah I've sort of maintained those things we spoke about this previously but reflecting on the last two years and now that you're you aren't in the thick of MWDU and COVID restrictions what support or community connection do you wish existed or think could have been offered during your MWDU and COVID experience now that you are looking back? Look, I think 
an MWDU liaison person in each of the spouse's area may have helped. Someone who would be able to make contact on an as-needs basis as determined by the spouse. Possibly being linked in with other MWDUs in the area may have helped. Uh, there's the military support officers, I think they're called. They're um, military social workers. Yeah. Maybe their skill set could be broadened to include MWDU spouses in the area. Something like that, I think, may have been beneficial. Yeah, because... Mm. When you were seeking out information and support, how Mm. did you actually know where to go? Like how would other spouses know when or how to link in or get the support that they needed or or where to even get it from? Like how did you know? I think just asking other spouses in a community such as military wife life, really, you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I just, I think, you know, there needs to be some more information provided to spouses, especially new spouses who aren't given that information, don't have that little, there's no rule book, there's no guidebook. (laughs) And, And then also you had mentioned that when your partner finally did get word that he was, his posting was ending and that he was going to be coming home. How did you stay across the information about obviously his removal from his location to come back and then Mm. the the hotel quarantine and all that went in with him being able to come back? Was Mm -hmm. that all done on his side of things or were you taken along in that process? And did you know what was happening and were you able to I guess, help with making sure that border passes were submitted or did Defence just do everything for him? Like how did that work when he came back? I was lucky in the sense that he was able to email me at the time, providing me with the reassurance that stuff was actually getting done. I I know that that's not uh, quite able to happen for others. At that that particular point in time, he was alongside, so he was able to email me and keep me updated with what was going on and the steps and the processes and things like that. As far as external organisations contacting me or keeping me in the loop, no. (laughs) It was all done from my partner's behalf. He organised his own border pass and we were actually a little bit confused with the border pass as well because he submitted a border pass and was then told, no, because you're a returning Victorian, and you're a defence member, you are allowed to return and you're actually exempt and not required to have a border permit. So that actually made me anxious as well because I thought, okay, but I'm hearing all of these stories about people being turned away at the border because they don't have the right permit and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, that made me really anxious because all of that, all of those things were on him. Yeah, because obviously yeah. once he got to the border, it's not like defence, there's someone from defence to no. step in and say, well, no, he's got an exemption or no, that was what we told him and it's fine kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. That's and it. as we know from, you know, obviously from earlier on with reunion trips and things like that, defence really didn't seem to have have any extra sway in being able to get people across the border no that's right exactly there there, there was no sway <laughs> there, there were no exceptions made last time we spoke MWDU again <laughs> was going to be across that bridge when you come to it kind of pretty much no situation um <laughs> yeah. what are we feeling about the possibility if uh, your partner was to come home and say um so I've heard that I may have this opportunity and it may not be in the same state like mm-hmm. what would your answer be 
yeah. Look, it would probably have to be for a really, really good reason for us to consider it again. We are hoping we don't have to deal with that anytime soon. But yeah, it's not a, a definite no. It's probably more of a, there needs to be a really, really good reason for us to sit down and have a, a really good discussion around it. I think the first time, the only time that I've done it, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Not a problem. We'll make it work. You know, it was beneficial for myself. It was beneficial for his daughters. But yeah, next time around, I think it will be a bit more, okay, we need to sit down and properly discuss this and consider all of the possibilities because who knows whether something like this might happen again. You just you just don't know. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Danny, and updating us on where you're at and the happy news of <laughs> your defence member being home finally and <laughs> you both being, I guess, like the last two years never really even happened. But <laughs> there's at least some positives to take from it. Most definitely. Thanks again for having me back. Nine out of ten defence spouses wish they found out about Defence Bank sooner. Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning, has cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, and pin change functionality, savings roundups, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Fitbit Pay, Garmin Pay, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. Well, welcome, Sally, to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks, Beck. It's nice to be talking to you. So I guess today we're talking about the different experiences that defence families have had during COVID last year and then obviously flowing on to this year. Can you tell us, firstly, where you're posted at the moment and what field your military person works in? So we're posted to Williamtown in New South Wales uh, and we live in the Newcastle area, which is just nearby. And hubby works in an engineering field in the Air Force. So what type of impact did COVID, I guess, throughout 2020 and now 2021 have on, on your lives in general? Look, it had a pretty significant impact on our life, like everybody's that turned it upside down, where all of a sudden we I was homeschooling a, a brand new kindergarten child and back at work for the first time in a couple of years, only to be sent home again to work from home. But also in not a terrible way because uh, my husband was also sent home to work and all of a sudden we had him home during the day and he also wasn't traveling because he was unable to. That was really quite nice and quite a change for us. So yes, it was a bit topsy-turvy, kids are home, back at work and the first time in years and then sent home again. And But in, in a positive way, we had the other half home in a, in a lot more hours than he would ordinarily be. And so how did that work with your defence member being home? Did he Was he able to juggle working from home and then helping out with the kids and your work how did you sort of work it in your household we were pretty lucky in that we've got a space where you can go and close the door and have your meetings and think in a quiet space if you needed to but yeah he did help but he's quite regimented as you are in the military so he needed to start really early to to get things done early in the morning before anybody woke up and disturbed him and he's not easily distracted either he's quite focused so (laughs) he was able to sort of block out kids screaming and all the usual household sound from the day so he did reasonably well we 
did have to juggle the two of us working in the same place, however. So I have quite a lot of meetings where I talk a lot and that would be really disruptive for him because we were sitting quite close and he would have a few meetings that perhaps were discussing some sensitive information and he couldn't have me listen to those. So we had to do a bit of juggling with office and desks and kitchen table workstations everywhere. How were you feeling? Obviously, you were going into the year with a child that was going into kindy and you mentioned you were going back into the workforce. So you were probably, you know, excited for those two milestones to happen and everything to sort of, I guess, get into a routine and to get stuck into the job and your child to, you know, transition and and go off to, to kindy. How were you feeling? Was it a little bit of a letdown when it was like, oh, well, you've got this job, but now you're working from home. So you don't even have that you know, work environment that you can kind of like network in and then really feel like you're really back in the workforce? You hit the nail on the head there. It was uh, really isolating actually to start and, you know, a couple of months later be sent home to work and not to return for many, many months. And my workplace is quite social really and it would have been really nice to be able to speak to people face-to-face when you're returning to work and for them to meet you, whereas you were sort of calling people and uh, on the phone and online and things like that. Those people you're trying to make contact with don't know you because you've only just started and it's just hard to make connections when you're when you're geographically isolated. But, you know, if there's one thing military people know, it's how to deal with isolation. <laughs> and how to how to make the best out of situations where you are geographically isolated from your contacts so I feel like perhaps that stood me in good stead yeah did you feel like um military life had sort of pre-prepared you for all that COVID sort of brought about like the isolation having to be adaptable and kind of think outside the square for you know grocery shopping and the juggle of everything that was COVID well yeah like just talking to you I've only just thought about it and thought well maybe that's is what helped us that we had to be so adaptable and so flexible and resilient and all those words you hate to hear (laughs) yeah but yeah you're probably you're probably right like we deal with those things day to day and well I was looking forward to getting a bit of stability going to a workplace and seeing the same people every day and getting a bit of bit of experience doing something different in life other than being a mum and being a wife and doing those sort of things while you've got little kids so yeah it was a bit of a letdown in that respect and how did you look after your mental health during COVID I don't know and I didn't think my mental health was really impacted until recently and when I went back to the office on a sort of part-time basis and I came home just on a high having just spoken to a handful of people that you wouldn't ordinarily um, speak to make a phone call to I just spoke to them you know walking past them in a hallway in an office and that was enough to really lift me and I that sort of made me think that perhaps I wasn't coping as well as I thought that I had and perhaps I was impacted a little bit by not seeing people just the effect that going to the office and seeing some people and talking about I don't know (laughs) water cool topics had on me was a real change but no I didn't do anything for my mental health I mean isn't that terrible I think we were just in coping uh, mode and anything else that was extra just got thrown out (laughs) and it shouldn't be extra should it it really shouldn't be extra your mental health should be something that's right up there well thank you so much for talking to us about your experience during 2020 and now into 2021 thanks it's been nice talking to you So what is your field of work and is it easy for you to pick up work in the different posting locations? 
So I took uh, quite a while off after having my daughter. I went back to work between my daughter and my son, but I started studying when my daughter was quite young. I did went back again and studied and added a diploma of accounting to it. And now I am not necessarily using that so much, but I'm administration, a virtual assistant, a bit of social media, things like that. So my work is primarily either at home or in an on-site office. So the fluidity of that has been good, especially with everything that's been happening. Definitely not overly easy finding work over here at the moment. Even before COVID hit, the job market was very hard. So it did take me quite a while to get back into something. And it's just been building on that in little bits and pieces as we go. Yeah. So why is the job market hard over in WA? Is it because the added factor that you're a defence spouse and they think that you might leave? Or is it just that in general, the job market's pretty tight over there? In general, the job market has been pretty pretty low over here. Lots of applicants for, for not quite so many jobs. You know, you would apply for a job and you'd get the email back from SEEK giving you the stats and it would be, you know, 300 other applicants applied for this job. So you're like, oh, so it's, I suppose, a matter of really trying to make yourself stand out and what's yeah. different from you as opposed to everybody else. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the hard part about the added layer of being a defence spouse is sometimes you might only be there for two years so do you hold out looking for a job in the field that you are qualified for or do you take something that's offered to you because something else might not come up and by the time something does come up you you know you're a quarter of the way through the posting you know you've been without income for however long and I think that's you know especially it was our choice for me to take the time off after Kaylee to not go back to work for quite a while. So, you know, that gap in the resume. And I suppose it's a matter of you don't necessarily look back and see what you have filled that time with, like volunteer roles and that that I did at the school and things like that. The value in those and the skills that they can necessarily teach you. But, yeah, it is. It's a very big what if, you know, do you hold out for that? Or do you, it's having a plan A, a plan B, and a lot of the times a plan C. Yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll act for plan A, but if that doesn't work, this is what plan B is going to be. And so where did you move in order to be able to obviously continue all that you were doing, but because you had to move off from RMC, what sort of happened and how far away were you from your partner then? I know COVID has been a challenge for everyone, but it actually came at a perfect time for us, which sounds horrible and terrible. But due to COVID and all those situations, I ended up being allowed to stay on base and in the house because of the border restrictions and everything closing. I was like, well, we can't move you anywhere. We can't send you anywhere. And they actually sped up his training to be a little bit shorter because at the time they were they were stopping all the training. And it was when the army kind of came to a halt is how I kind of felt. It was still obviously reacting to the environment, but I got to stay in the Canberra house until his first post. So that was really thankful. It's terrible that it took a pandemic for everything to work out for you, but it was... Yeah, precisely. And as well as on top of that, because I'm one of those people who likes to do too many things at once, we decided to start trying for our first baby. (laughs) Originally, we... um, said, okay, let's finish RMC and do that at our first posting or something like that. And then when we obviously transferred and was going on ours, I said, right, I'm not getting any younger. You're not getting any younger. You're not finishing RMC now. You're doing this. 
let's start trying because posting's not far off. So run out of excuses as I like to joke. Um, and so we did. So I fell pregnant just before he went to his non-commissioned role of training. So while he was away and then during COVID and then the first posting relocation, I was in my first trimester of pregnancy as well. They had all those COVID incentives as well going, oh, you know, because of COVID and if, if it's financially affected you, we can support you. But because it was COVID and relocation, I wasn't entitled to any kind of COVID-related support because the change in my business was due to the fact of relocation, not due to COVID. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so complicated for defence spouses sometimes. It is. And it's like, well, I would have been entitled to that if we'd stayed in location. So we are currently in Adelaide and we've just moved back here at the start of the year. So we actually met here in Adelaide and yeah, at the moment he's able to be at home pretty much all the time which is really good. And so he works as a software engineer. So just looking at, yeah, different things to do with the software and, and things for aircraft. Yeah, he doesn't need to travel, which is kind of nice with this position. We moved back to Adelaide knowing that, you know, they'd sort of give us a year here was guaranteed and then we'd have to kind of wait and see what happened. So he's been in for long enough now that um, boards and promotions can play a factor in that as well. So Basically, if he gets promoted, then that opens up one range of jobs um, and would potentially mean that we'd need to move on to a different location. And then if he doesn't get promoted, then it's likely that we could, you know, sort of stay here for a couple more years, which would be kind of nice um, having only just moved back at the start of the year to have a bit of extra time with friends and family would be really good. It's also a hard kind of conversation when it's like, oh, we're now back with friends. I'm like, oh, if they do try and send us away, do I really want to be going? Do we start thinking maybe what does life outside defence look like? Is this somewhere we want to stay long term? I think the conversation has changed for us because we've got a, a little girl, she's four months old. So then you're starting to think, you know, like what sort of situation do we want to be raising her in? Do we want to be near family? Do we squeeze in one more three-year posting and then try and settle somewhere once she's starting school? So yeah, we're actually kind of, that's the conversation that we're in the middle of having now is just trying to work out, you know, what's going to be the best thing for us as a family moving forwards um, in the next few years. Has COVID played any part in that in regard to, you know, if for instance, you know, you've had the great situation where you've been able to have your first child in the location where you've got friends and family and a network and support, and it'd be really hard to leave that, like you mentioned, but if you were to go to an interstate posting, does COVID factor into that? because it's not as easy to get back to see family and friends and to travel and I guess to have that balance? Oh, it definitely does. So we were actually in Melbourne last year. So we had all of those crazy lockdowns and I'm a teacher. So I was teaching from home and um, Stu was basically working from home from like March through till December. So we've lived that reality and our family is quite spread out. So we have family in Western Australia, Northern Territory, Queensland, Victoria and South Australia. So currently with border changes and things, we have a lot of family members, immediate family members that haven't had the chance to come and meet the baby um, and we're not even sure when that potentially could happen so it's sort of that chance of okay well do we try and stay here in South Australia where at least some of our extended family are able to be on hand and and enjoy the baby in all her various stages or if we do end up you know moving somewhere we do that with the realization that 
okay, so actually maybe this is quite hard and, and now people can't come and visit her and us and what does that look like as a reality of a day-to-day life? Yeah, it's definitely a, a complicating factor. I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 